You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey everybody, Ed Stetzer here. Uh, we're continuing our series from the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at the book of Philippians in just a moment. I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the interim teaching pastor here at Calvary. And normally I work at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. But so excited to be able to share God's word with you. We've been going through the book of Philippians and that's what we're going to continue to look at today. So we're going to look specifically today at Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And you can see the passage, right? So we're going to walk through and the title is Jesus is the Exalted Lord. Jesus is the Exalted Lord. So if you have a Bible, take it out and uh, follow along with me while we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9 and going to verse 11. Let's take a look. Let's read the passage. It says this, beginning at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him that and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here this passage is the continuation of the hymn. Remember, we're looking at a, this is a hymn, a poem. It's actually in most Bibles. It's set apart a little bit by an indent. And so what we're seeing in the passage is really a lot of um, of amazing and important content. Let's Let's overview it again, right? It says, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name. We're going to talk about that. So that the name, so there's obviously name is a theme. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So a lot going on in this passage that we want to unpack and walk through. And I want to do that by first focusing on the idea of a name. Right, um, the most common names in 2019 were Liam, Noah, Oliver for boys, and Olivia, Emma, and Ava for girls. Right, so common names. Right, so names seem to have a meaning. No one is naming their kid Edward anymore, which I think is a tragedy because I think it's a great name. But that's another story for another day. If you go back to 2010, it was actually Jacob, Ethan, Michael. And the girls were Isabel, Isabella, Sophia, and Emma. My guess is if you've got some 10-year-olds, you might recognize some of those names. So it's interesting. Maybe because uh, Liam Neeson and Lee, Liam uh, Helmsworth are popular actors. Um, and, and, and maybe maybe some girls needed uh, names that end with A, you know, Livia, Emma, and Ava. And so I remember, too, we spent so much time for my own family. We spent so much time naming our daughters. And I had a very strong opinion. I said to Donna... When she, when we were first going to have our, our first child, uh, I said, listen, my mom's name was Elizabeth, is Elizabeth. My grandmother's name was Elizabeth. My sister's name was Elizabeth. And I said, so, of course, our daughter will be named Elizabeth. And she's named Kristen, by the way, because you can say that, see, ultimately, I didn't get to make that decision. Uh, her middle name's Elizabeth, so it's Kristen Elizabeth. So I got to be at least a part of it. But names matter. We think a lot about them. 
But no name matters more than the name of Jesus, and we're going to see why today. So last week we looked at, and you can always go back to our website and follow along with us, but last week we looked at uh, the first part of an ancient hymn or poem. Uh, Jesus, the humble servant, was the focus of that verse. And this week, uh, God himself is the subject as we move from Jesus' um, humility to his exaltation by the Father. That's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at a few things and go through them one at a time. The first thing we're going to look at is, um, number one on our outline, is once humbled as a man, Jesus is now exalted above all. Once humbled as a man, Jesus is now exalted above all. And this is from the passage, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, which says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus, every um, the name of that exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I keep going back to this passage. I happen again to have it memorized, so I keep going back to the translation that I have it memorized in. So forgive me, but uh, therefore God highly exalted him. So becoming man, right? Jesus was mocked and cursed by man, but God highly exalted him. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because verse 8 is not the end of the story. This is really key for us to get, right? Because we've looked at verse 8, right? But if you remember, we started in verse 7, 6 and 7. It says, Who, although he was in the form of God, did not recount equality with God, something to be grasped or held on to, right? Uh, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Okay, so that's not the end of the story. Verse 8 isn't the end of the story. Being found in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's not the end of the story. The story goes on and says, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him. So once humbled, Jesus is now exalted above all. Once humbled, Jesus is now exalted above all. All, right? So again, uh, therefore, also at the beginning of the verse, right? It says, um, therefore, right at the beginning, um, what, when you ever see a therefore, you're going to ask, what's it there for? What's it saying? And what it's saying is that because Jesus humbled himself, therefore, God highly exalted him. Because he died for sinful humanity, God raised him from the dead. Because he took the penalty for our sin, God um, has given us eternal life, right? So we see the the bigger picture of what's going on here is really a beautiful call about him taking the penalty of our sins. So ultimately God could highly exalt him. God could give us eternal life. Look at Acts 5 verse 30 and 31. It says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him. Don't miss that. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, um, right hand is the seat of authority, the seat of honor, and the seat of power. And highly exalted, right, is actually a compound word uh, in the original language. Highly is hooper, or, or it's where we get the word hyper, actually, right? So it's an amplifying term. So highly or hyper, hooper, uh, and exalted means to elevate or lift on high. So he's he's highly exalted, and it really contrasts quite powerfully with the verses before where Jesus is actually humbling himself to obedience, even to the point of death, death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him, right? So, and, and then it goes on to say that he bestowed, God exalted him, 
right? Uh, and, and then the, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, right? And so then God highly exalted him, but don't miss the fullness of what's going on in this passage. He actually bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We're going to talk about that bestowed upon him, not, not, not any name, but the name, not a name, but the name. Definitive article is used here, so the name. And uh, and many interpreters, actually, or Bible commentators say this, the name here is the Lord, right? So the name is the Lord. But verse 10 also says, at the name of Jesus. So we put those together. So Jesus is Lord is a common theme of the early church and very subversive, by the way. Because every Roman citizen, every person who lived in Philippi, remember, they're in this exalted city status as Roman citizens. Every Roman citizen knew that Caesar is Lord, is what they would say. Yet here, Jesus is Lord, the name above every name. And above is, again, it's the word hooper again, or like hyper, superior or above. Um, you know, and it's, it's you know, depending on when you came to Christ, Sean and I were sort of sharing similar time frames, uh, Pastor Sean, when we came to Christ. And and uh, one of the songs that I sang was uh, from the Gaithers. You know, you maybe heard, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Right? So that's a beautiful song because there literally is something about that name. He is highly exalted, right? It being resurrected from the dead, highly exalted, being resurrected from the dead. And by ascending to heaven, right, and sitting, seated, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death, death for everyone. Okay, so again, look at me at the passage, right? So what leads up to is described in this Hebrews passage, right? But for a little while, right, here it is, right? But for a little while, he was humbled. He obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But then the exaltation comes, right? The exaltation ultimately comes. And we see that, right, in the passage when we walk through, well, what does it mean? Well, we can see, right? It says, um, little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because of, because of the suffering of death, right? Because of the suffering of death. Don't miss it. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone because of. So that therefore is really key. So God, the son becomes Jesus the Christ. He didn't stop being God. He became man. He was born of a virgin named Mary. He lives a sinless life. He he felt what we feel, right? He was thirsty in John 4. He got hungry. He became physically exhausted. He was falsely accused. He was condemned, beaten, and mocked. He was crucified. God exalted him. God glorified him. And now, now he intercedes for the saints. At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Here's what it says, right? It says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives. He is alive. He is risen since he always lives to make intercession for them. So this, therefore, is really essential that we don't miss because ultimately he will return as king and lord and every knee will bow. You know, I don't know if you're really a lot into sports. 
Um, I'm not. I used to be as a kid, right? Rangers games, um, Yankees games, never went to Mets games. Um, and would watch some of those things. Not so much basketball, but the Yankees and, and the Rangers were my dad's team. Um, and and yet, you know, I remember mascots. You know, teams have mascots, and they're fun, and they're enjoyable. They're kind of an accessory to the team. Maybe they aren't on the field all the time. They don't score or defend. And a lot of Christians treat Jesus like a mascot. Like he's like our good buddy in the sky. is going to help us out when we're discouraged or sad, but he's not part of everything in our life. And what we see here in this passage is, no, 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 no. Again, the passage is so clear. Once humbled as a man, Jesus is now exalted above all. That's number one. Once humbled as a man, Jesus is now exalted above all. And it doesn't end there, right? So Jesus is not a mascot. He's the master. He is Lord, not a luxury. He is the reigning king, not some sort of spiritual rabbit's foot, right? So can we get a picture of who Jesus is? That's number one. Number two, number two is, well, once crucified as a criminal, now Jesus is judge. Don't miss the amazing contrast, right? Once crucified as a criminal, Jesus is now the judge of all things. Look, listen to what it says. So that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's interesting the way this sort of is phrased. It's kind of like in heaven? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense in heaven. On earth? Yes. Right? Under the earth still? Yep. Under the earth. All of those places, right? Don't, don't miss the fullness of what's going on here, right? So God has highly exalted him, bestowed in the name of every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every, every, every is going to be key. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess. We'll get to that in a minute. Because what happens is sometimes you hear that every knee will bow. And like the song, Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. You might feel another song, depending upon you came to Christ, coming to mind. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Some of you want to sing along. He is risen from the dead. Stay with me. Because that's a great song. But that's sometimes the way we understand that song misses a lot what's going on in this passage. So here's the goal in exalting Jesus that all would worship the Son. He is the object of our worship. Christians literally moved the day of corporate worship to Sunday in no small part to worship the resurrected and exalted Lord. Now, we got to get a little context here because Paul is actually quoting, when he writes this letter to the book of Philippians, he says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He's actually quoting a passage in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Here's what it says. It says, turn to me, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So sure, you actually can hear very much the same language that every knee shall bow, uh, and, and can every tongue confess. Paul adds to there, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, keeping in mind that um, this is probably a hymn that they're already singing that is based upon this passage in Isaiah and, and others as as well, right? So, so it's talking about who Jesus is, which is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Or put another way, Every knee shall bow. 
Now look at Revelation 5, 13 and 14. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worship, right? In other words, every knee shall bow. Every means no exception. Uh, this is really important that we get this because it's actually to the Christian, a beautiful thing, but to the to the non-Christian, it basically says that every knee will bow. This is not language of devotion, right? Remember the song, every knee shall bow. When I was a, a new believer, um, we would sing, you know, he is Lord, he is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And then say, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then I would we would personalize it and say, he is, you are Lord, you are Lord. And then we'd say, oh, my knee shall bow and my tongue confess. So we made it into a devotion, which is not a bad thing. I'm for devotional worship and a personalized here. But that's not what's going on here, actually. It's way more than that. This is the inferior acknowledging the superior, right? Um, one day a British king entered a room and everyone stood and he said, please take your seats, gentlemen. I'm not the Lord, you know. And one of them responded, no, your highness, replied one from the group. If you were, we would have dropped to our knees. Okay, so that's the language of conquest and superior, superior right? So it's every knee shall bow. And then we look at that passage in Revelation. I mean, let's look at it again, right? Um, it says that, um, that in creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them. I don't know. It's kind of reminds me sometimes when I get frustrated with my children. I know you never get frustrated with anybody, but but I do sometimes with my children. And and I have the, I have one daughter. I have three daughters, and they're amazing. And my middle daughter, she's going to be a lawyer one day because she actually, like, if you say, don't put it over there. She says, what if it's almost over there? Or what if it's close to over there? Or what if it's over here? But it's kind of like over there. And so, so literally I have to say to her, no, you, you can't say it this way or that way or a variation of that way or this way. And it almost feels like John in the book of Revelation is saying, oh, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all that is in them. And very similar to what the passage is saying here that Paul is, is saying to us that it's in all of these places, right? So it is every knee should bow in heaven, which makes sense. You know, angels uh, maybe maybe believers who've gone before uh, and on earth, right? So believers now and under the earth, right? So is that, is that a reference to some eternal dwelling that even people, even the devil and his demons will one day acknowledge that? People kind of debate it in Bible commentaries, but here's what I know. Everybody everywhere is going to acknowledge that he is Lord one day. They don't know he's Lord yet. They need to know. That's part of our job is to tell them that he is the Lord because they don't yet fully know that he is the Lord. But that's the picture, right? So we go in this one passage. I'm going to get a little theological for you. We go from a very um, Christologically driven passage, from a very um, humanity-focused passage, right? This is clearly the humanity of Jesus. He humbled himself to become obedient, even to death on the cross, to a very highly exalted, right? So this is so powerful for us to see, you know, even in the words, Jesus Christ, Jesus, an earthly name, Christ, a heavenly title, right? This is who he is. And 
over and over in scripture, the book of Hebrews is wonderful for this, over and over in scripture we see this kind of language, right? Uh, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down, we know where, right? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is not just a one-time thing in the Bible, what Paul writes in here in the book of Philippians. It's a recurring theme that Jesus, this name above all names, that he will, as this ruling judge, he will judge the world from his glorious throne. This is a recurring theme that we don't want to miss because, again, uh, as I said at the very beginning, uh, once crucified as a criminal, now Jesus is judge over all things. Matter of fact, we actually can see how he is the judge over all things in a passage here, right? Let's take a look at it, right? It says this in Matthew chapter 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate. He's judging them, right? Once judged as a criminal, now he himself, once crucified as a criminal, he is judging the nations. He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. So again, once crucified as a criminal, now the judge, right now, the judge over all things. There's a lot in here. There's a lot in this passage, right? But it reminds us, right, that he will um, judge over, right? So, so we've seen in heaven that the angels will bow. We saw that in Hebrews, right? We saw in Revelation, the angels will bow. We see on earth, all humanity will bow. The mightiest of leaders, men and women, titans of industry, the rich and the poor, the most powerful dictators, the most brilliant intellectuals, all will bow. And he'll actually judge all of them. And then under the earth, right? Somehow. And we, and we, we don't know all the details. You don't want to build an entire theology on one passage. But, but look at 1 John chapter 3, the second part of uh, verse 8. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, so again, however we see and unpack this is the totality of creation. Everything, everything with the capacity to worship will bow. And that's powerful. And when you get that, it shapes how you understand who Jesus is. The one who came lowly in a manger the one who died a death of obedience, a sinner's death, crucified on the cross for our sin and in our place, is now highly exalted and above all things. Now, don't because don't 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 make Jesus into your your buddy next door, right? Don't make Jesus into your pal. You, you know, be saying, well, you know, I just want to thank the Lord for the seven pound six ounce baby little Jesus, and and you know, he grows up, and I want to, you know, I want to Jesus be awesome to hang with. Yeah, he's the exalted King of all of the universe, that every knee, even those who hate him in his victory, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Now, now why? Because we know that's coming, right? We, the totality of all creation is that everything with the capacity to worship will give him praise. But what does that matter for us? Here's one thing that matters, right? Maybe um, when I was, I was actually flying back from London when we used to get on things called airplanes and go to places called other countries. And I was flying home. I live in Chicago, for those of you who don't know. And I was flying back to Chicago during the uh, seventh uh, game of the world, the final game of the World Series that the Chicago Cubs won. 
and I actually landed at LaGuardia and had to make a connection the next morning. So I stayed at a hotel, that, at that courtyard home hotel there in Elmhurst. Some of you may be familiar with it. And had my television on watching the game. Now, I could have just DVR'd it at home. Matter of fact, Donna, my wife, was watching it. We were texting each other. She could have DVR'd it. But I would have known that the Cubs won the World Series. Because let me just tell you, that's pretty significant news in Chicago where I live. I could have watched it the next day. I actually stayed up. I got like a handful of hours of sleep because I stayed up watching the game. Um, but the reason I didn't is because I didn't want to, I mean, I would know, but I'd have confidence. I knew the Cubs were going to win. Maybe you've watched the game where you knew the, the end result. You might still feel some tension and anxiety in it, but you know how the end result's going to come. Can I tell you, your life, you know the end result. You know the end result of all the world in the midst of this election season and all the brokenness and questions about the future. You know, what, what does it mean for coronavirus? What does it mean for economic downturn? What does it mean for cities? What are all these things? Here's what I know. I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So I can actually walk with a greater sense of certainty and a greater sense of confidence because I know he holds the future, Right? And that changes everything, right? So don't don't miss that. Here's a can I can I quote a this is a little bit longer quote, but this is from Spurgeon, the one of the great preachers, right? Spurgeon put it this way: What we are taught here is the great truth that Jesus Christ, though he once he stooped to the lowest shame, is now exalted to the very highest glory, and even the devils in hell are compelled to own the might of his power. We also we we are also to learn from this passage that the way to ascend is to descend. He who would be chief must be willing to be servant of all. The king of kings was the servant of servants. And if you would be crowned with honor by and by, you must be willing to be despised and rejected of men now. Unquote. See, don't forget this passage is in the context of Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Later on, he's actually going to talk about some conflict, name some people in the conflict, and how they can really put one another first so the fullness of the glory of this passage has to be remembered in the context of have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our students led us today and did a great job, right? And I love particularly the, the, when, when we talk about We Believe, one of, my, one of my favorite songs. It goes like this, right? Can I tell you? Because we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Our students leading us and us singing together those truths are really just beating rush hour because there's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. I don't want it to be because I have been defeated and judged. I want it to be because I'm worshiping the one true king of all the universe, right? Okay, so we've looked at uh, number number one, first and foremost, as we kind of walk through these passages, once humbled as a man, Jesus is now exalted above all, right? So number two, once crucified as a criminal, now Jesus is judge over all things. The points are a little bit longer, so my apologies. Uh, so let's look at number three. And finally, once mocked and rejected, right, uh, Jesus will be confessed by all as Lord. Confessed now by all as Lord. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Let's look at the passage and get a little more feel of that, right? So now it says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So wait a second, isn't the knee bowing enough? Now it's confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. What's going on here? Let's take a look at it. Let's look in a little bit deeper. Because they're parallel expressions, right? It's every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Parallel confessions. Because it includes the totality of Jesus' Lordship. This is what we call in theology an eschatological picture, right? When we see the storyline of creation, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, right? We see the big picture that kind of goes across all we are, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. When we get that we're in this great drama, this great storyline of scripture, that in the midst of that great storyline, we look at a time when God will restore all things. He indeed endured the cross for us. And so then the writer of Hebrews, a lot of Hebrews today, because it's so, Hebrews deals a lot with the exaltation of Christ. Every tongue confess, right? Once mocked, now every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But look at what it says in Hebrews. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, and crowned with thorns, but no more. Jesus was treated like a common criminal, but no more. Jesus was nailed to the cross, the cruelest of deaths, but no more. Now he is Lord over all. Every knee will bow, no no exceptions. Where does that extend? Above earth, yep. On earth, yep. Under the earth, yep. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Confess means, we sometimes think of it as something we confess. The tradition I, we didn't go to church, but the tradition that my family was kind of connected to a little bit when I was younger, we'd go confess our sins. Well, confess in this case means to agree, right? That's actually, when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with God about our sins. But confess means to agree with or to say the same thing, right? So we're saying the same thing. We're saying this to be true. Let's take a look at it in Ephesians, right? It says this, he raised him from the dead. And seated him as his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is in all and all. Now, I got to tell you, you at this point have picked up that the Bible is filled. We look at Ephesians. We've looked, we could look at Colossians. We could look at Hebrews. We could look throughout the Old Testament. The Bible is filled with teaching that ultimately Jesus is exalted above all. And he's exalted above all because he lowered himself and humbled himself, died on the cross, was obedient to the point of death. Therefore, therefore, God highly exalted him. But I want you not to miss this because I, I want you as a follower of Jesus to just dwell on the beauty of that moment. Thank God. Because I know he holds the future, right? Um, there's something about that name. I, for I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives, right? Um, but what I want you also to miss is the world doesn't know that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. But the world doesn't know that Jesus is Lord. And if you look closely at the Great Commission, where I want to end today, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's not miss it. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. And then right after saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, I am the Lord. He says, so go and make disciples. Why make disciples? So they can know that Jesus is Lord over all. So they can know all authority on heaven and earth belongs to him on the earth, under the earth, above the earth. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe all I commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Sisters and brothers, this truth that Jesus is Lord is both a beautiful reality that shapes our lives. It's ultimately the reality that all the world will one day acknowledge. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it's a reality that the world needs to know. This is so key. He is Lord. He had and has all authority. Our job is to tell the world that he does. Because Jesus is Lord, we have a mission. Because Jesus died, we have a hope. Because Jesus is returning, we have an urgency. So let us proclaim Jesus as Lord in our lives, in our worship. We believe, as our students led us, right? We believe in God the Father. We believe Jesus is Lord. We believe in the working of the Holy Spirit. Let us proclaim Jesus Lord. Let us live in the light of that truth that gives us comfort. And let us proclaim it until he returns. And then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we acknowledge again as followers of Jesus that you are Lord. Jesus is Lord. Father, we pray you'd burden us for men and women who don't know that. And one day we'll join with those above the earth or on the earth or under the earth and their knee will bow and their tongue will confess. Father, it doesn't mean though they'll be redeemed or born again. It doesn't mean they'll be saved. It means ultimately they could be conquered. But Lord, for us, may we be so burdened and passionate with telling the world about Jesus so that we might bow our knee to King Jesus, so we might confess with our tongue of King Jesus. So Lord, burden us with a heart for people. Maybe just now as you're praying, maybe there's someone comes to mind that doesn't know the Lord that you can say and pray, I need to reach out to them. I need to let them know that Jesus is Lord so that they don't face the judgment, the reckoning that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but their judgment will stand before them as one without Christ and into a Christless eternity. Maybe someone is burdening, being burdened by the Lord to reach out to someone. I only say for all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a beautiful passage. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to respond to who Jesus is. He died on the cross for your sin and in your place. Father, speak to people who may not know you. Give them even the boldness to, to pray and to commit their lives to you in the quietness of this moment, to reach out to us through the phone number and the available resources on our website. But Lord, we say again, he, Jesus, you are Lord. Ernie Bow will bow. Our tongues confess. All the world will. But for now, we say, Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.